0: Whoops, sorry about that, left my closet door open again. Hey, welcome to the show, the House of Bliss podcast. My name is Cole Harmon, and I will be your tour guide slash host today. I've got something delightful to share with you today. You've heard of chicken soup for the preteen soul. Well, I've got gold-plated truffle-covered caviar for the preteen soul for you today. This is going to be a good one, Um, but before I get into all of that, I'll be continuing my series, The Glories of the Cross. This is part three, but before I dive into all of that, I wanted to give a huge, massive thank you to my patrons. Uh, You guys actually make this happen. I'm always surprised to see that little number continue to go up, and I'm so thankful. And if you're not a patron, now is certainly the time to do it because... Uh, I used to have it set where um, you could pay a specific amount of money for different rewards, but now it's just one size fits all. You can pay $1 a month or you can pay a million dollars a month, which would be awesome. Please please do that. But no matter what you decide to pay out of the generosity of your heart, you will get access to all the rewards. I'm talking about things like testimonies that I don't share with everybody such as like the time I crashed a Satanist party um, to the time where I crashed a party in the most violent neighborhood in Cleveland and also just like extra teachings and I do like a monthly resource list of things I'm listening to reading books and reading articles that I'm you know just feeding on I don't know why I said feeding on I sound like a zombie I am a glory zombie I am hungry for one thing Uh, uh, The revelation knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm like a zombie for it. But anyway, yeah, if that sounds good to you or Gucci as the kids say these days, check it out. I'll put the link conveniently in the description for you. All right, now that that amazing infomercial is over, let's move on to today's subject. I want to ask you a question. When you think of power, what do you think of for some of us, it might be Macho Man Randy Savage. I'm not even going to try to do the voice. Uh, for some of us, it might be uh, military might, you know, big guns, all that stuff. For some of us, it might be the ability to manipulate others with money or coercion or something like that. But those are all worldly definitions of power. How does God define Power. Well, we need to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. But before we do, a little bit of intro here. Before we talk about the cross, it's important to say a few words about Jesus. Far from being just a humble teacher. Uh, a good man who is pointing us to the path of divinity you know a carrier of the christ consciousness as some would say uh jesus christ is actually the manifestation of the multi-trillion dimensional being that we call god he is the exact image and likeness see check this out it says this in hebrews chapter one It says god after he spoke long ago to the fathers and prophets in many portions And in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Skipping ahead a bit. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. I'm going to read that again in the Passion Translation. It says, throughout history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time building one truth upon another. But to us, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly through the language of his Son. (laughs) His Son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. Now, Jesus even said these things about himself. He said, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Okay, when Jesus showed up, he was talking to all the religious leaders of the day. You know, the cream of the crop of religious people. Know their Bible inside and out. Probably volunteer at, you know, kids camp every year. Um, Make sure they tithe all the right offerings and such. He says, not one of you knows God. He even takes it a step further and says, no one has seen God. (laughs) Not Moses, not Isaiah. Nobody has seen God. Well, what's he saying? He's saying this, that whatever is going on in the Old Testament, it is an inferior picture compared to the open unveiling of the mystery of God's nature that happens in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, you do get little glimpses all along the way, but all of those are ultimately leading you to the full picture in Christ. So if you see something in the Old Testament that argues with the revelation that Jesus brings, you have permission to question it. Doesn't mean you throw the whole Old Testament out like a crazy person, it just is saying that you need to hold everything in the light of Christ. Okay? So what does Jesus show us about the nature of God? Tons of stuff. But what I'm going to show you today is that Jesus reveals exactly what kind of king God is. You have to realize that central to the, uh, the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament is this idea that one day God would become king. Now there's something very interesting about the time that Jesus decided to show up. You do realize, right, that he showed up at a particular time and place in history. He did that very much on purpose. Okay, so he came at the time when the Roman Empire was at its height. It was at its peak. And at the center of it all, you have their version of a king called the Caesar. Caesar, in these days, was believed to be the king of all kings. Truly, they used these words, that he would be the hope of the earth, that he would bring peace on earth, okay? And they would actually be required to worship Caesar as Lord, God, and King, or else. So those phrases are actually, the phrases that we use for Jesus are actually pulled and subverted from language around this Caesar cult. Okay, what about words like the gospel? Well, in those days, whenever Rome would claim a major victory, uh, people would go on ahead of him and um, proclaim the gospel, that there's been a victory, that there's been a decisive victory in the kingdom and people need to know about it. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the royal announcement that there's a new king in town i really wanted to say a new sheriff in town there's a new sheriff in town and his name is king jesus and he is lord god and king but what kind of king is jesus when we think of earthly kings we think of one guy who sits on a seat of power and demands one thing, submission. His one goal is to get everyone to obey him and he will use any means necessary to extract that raw obedience. Never mind about relationship, about dignity, an earthly king is looking for one thing and that is dominance over everyone. Uh, we might think of an earthly king as one who slaughters his enemies, that anyone who opposes him or gets in his way, he will take him out. And this is exactly the kind of king that Caesar was. You know, I was listening to a history podcast recently where it talked about how when a certain group of slaves decided to try to overthrow and rise up against their oppressors, the Roman soldiers were actually ordered to crucify 3,000 young men in the streets leading up to a city. That way, for days, people would see these 3,000 writhing bodies slowly dying in the hot sun. I mean, that's the kind of brutality that we're dealing with here. And I want to propose to you that oftentimes when I hear people talk about God, the Father of Jesus, uh, <laughs> oftentimes this God ultimately ends up looking like a... Ultra version of Caesar. He's really just a divine turbo Caesar who's really his only goal. Yes, maybe he gave the cross and gave us a little bit of grace, maybe the chance to repent, but if we don't, he's going to crush us, demoralize us, and torture us forever. I want to say that that flies in the face of everything that the cross reveals. And so if you just buckle up your seatbelts, give me a minute, I'd like to explain some things. So Jesus, being God in the flesh, Lord, God, and King, how does he show up? Does he show up in a chariot of fire and grand splendor? Does he have, a, you know, a halo over a little baby Jesus' head, just like in the religious paintings? No, it, Jesus was born in an animal's feeding trough to a teen mom in a neighborhood that was the bad side of town, where nobody wants to come from, a smelly place. <laughs> where literally when they heard he was from Nazareth, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He didn't walk around with uh, people blowing trumpets and singing his praises. No, it says he had no place of his own to lay his head. He was supported financially by other people. Um, so he didn't have any wealth to claim of his own, but he was actually allowed himself to be supported by others. Um, Instead of putting on the robe of a king, he put on the towel of a servant and washed the filthy dung and sweat covered feet of his disciples. And finally, his ministry, his big old ministry. You know, most people for ministry, their goal is to collect as many followers as possible, leave a giant legacy, you know, have 80 books in the bookstore and teaching series, but Jesus' biggest act of ministry was his humiliating criminal's death, naked and defenseless on a cross. Interestingly about that, the cross was specifically like the calling card of Rome that they used to humiliate and demoralize people who would oppose them. It was the most sick and devious twisted way to die and it was utterly embarrassing. And that is what Paul said is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, it's not that Jesus is weak sauce and that he cannot have power. You know, when he was on trial, Pilate said, are you a king? He said, said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would have prevented this from happening. What's he saying there? He's saying, Pilate, before your next blink, I could have you torn limb from limb by a myriad of angels. With a mere glance of my eyes, I could vaporize you. But that's not the kind of king that I am. That's not the kind of servants that I have. My kingdom is something altogether and totally different than what you are used to, Pilate. In fact, Jesus didn't even defend himself when they were hurling accusations at him when they were saying literally making up false testimony which is ironic because they were told to by the high priests and obviously you know one of the main laws of judaism is to not bear false witness he didn't point out that hypocrisy he just took it why because the bible says that god Is love God does not love as an action God does not love as a feeling God is love his very essence is love his very nature is love at the center of God's being where all of the decisions are made is love and nothing but love the Bible says this greater love has none than this that someone would lay down their life for their friends but the Bible takes it even a step further and says, while we were far off, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, uh, not that he was our enemy, but when we set ourselves against him as his enemies, that's when his love was on full display. You see, Jesus is not a king like a mere man who has to fight for power, who has to fight for dominance and protect and keep that. No, he already has all of those things. What makes Jesus so special is that he is a king who fights power. For love and from love he cares about the dignity of his enemies he cares about them coming to a heart decision where they can actually be changed into friends into lovers into servants Uh, if I take physical violent power over you I may be able to stop you and destroy you but I can never turn you into a loyal friend in fact violence only begets more violence why don't we ask the people that the you know that the United States has bombed how they feel about us? So that all sounds well and good. It sounds like something you might want to put on your refrigerator, and uh, tell all your, celebrate with all your hippie friends. But actually, how does this love overcome and conquer? Well, you see, the cross was not about Jesus absorbing the wrath of God. The cross was about the love of God absorbing the wrath of humanity. Who are the ones that killed Jesus? over and over and over wherever he went, it says, and they were seething in their hearts, wanting to put him to death. They tried to kill him everywhere he went. They tried to throw him off a cliff. They tried to pick up stones to throw him. It says he would just pass through their midst because it wasn't his time. But he knew that eventually he was going to be taking the full brunt of both the religious system and the political system and all the people caught up in between. Yes, you see, Jesus took our most vile and confused act in all of human history, the act of killing God. And that very spear that pierced into his side was the very thing that opened the doorway for all of humanity to come in and be friends with God, to eat with God, to dine with God, to be his uh, beloved children. Jesus took our worst and turned it into his very best and the bible is full of verses like this it says do not repay evil for evil but overcome evil with good it says bless those who persecute you pray for your enemies love your enemies and you'll be heaping hot coals upon their head right love them until every last drop of venom is gone so there's this awesome movie from the '60s, called Cool Hand Luke, and there's a fight scene. I'm actually gonna put the link in the description, but it's it's so brutal in the best way. Um, the main character, Luke, he's got to fight against this uh, this mammoth block of brick of meat, and uh, you know they're gonna have it out. Okay, so this guy is like eight times the size of the main character, and you know. <laughs> Luke starts out. He's all like peppy. Throws a few punches in, and they literally they just don't land. Like you know, the guy like shrugs it off basically, and then he punches him right in the face. He goes down, and then people are like, "Yeah, you know, they want this meat hunk guy to win." And eventually, he gets up and he punches him again, and he gets up and he punches him again, and it's really amazing because the attitude of the people who are at first cheering they start to get like oh no this is not good and literally one of the guys says somebody's got to stop this and he walks away because he just keeps getting up (laughs) and keeps getting clobbered and his face is bleeding and eventually even the guy knocking him out you know he just kind of like almost lovingly picks him up and sets him up because he knows he's not going to give up and he punches him and eventually he just walks away he says you know I can't do this anymore because uh, Luke looks at him and he says, You're going to have to kill me, but I'm not stopping. And I don't think there's a greater example in cinema history of how the love and forgiveness of God exhausts the very worst of sin that we have to throw. You know, he doesn't get tired or exhausted by our sin, right? He doesn't get uh, uh, fatigued by it. It says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The word in the Greek actually means to super abound. So when we as humanity are confronted, when we see the perfect son of God marred by our own sin, we see the very ugliness of the things that we have become. And we see in the midst of him, as we're piercing him, he's saying, Father, forgive them. All of the sudden, we see how loving he is in the midst of our sin. It shatters the evil power of darkness over our minds. (laughs) I heard this amazing story from the civil rights movement where um, a guy was peacefully protesting and one of the angry white people spit in his face. And instead of getting angry and hurling insults and fueling the fire, he had this brilliant moment where he simply said, excuse me, sir, do you have a handkerchief? And (laughs) he saw the guy uh, instantly the facade of anger and hatred broke and he impulsively reached into his jacket to pull out a handkerchief and then he realized what he was doing and kept up with the anger but that one second of just letting somebody see your humanity it actually broke the spell of this like mob mentality going on and so that's exactly what's going on on a grander scale on the cross really just beautiful So I have one more thing that I want to share with you. I remember being in kids ministry and I was sharing about something similar to this and somebody said to me, well, my dad says that Jesus came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. So you better watch out. Well, I just want to share something with you that the phrase, the lion of Judah appears only one time in scripture, and that is in the book of Revelation. I'm going to read it to you. Just for funsies, I'm going to read this to you in the KJV. It says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as if it had been slain, Somebody says in heaven, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when John turns to look, instead of a lion roaring, he sees a lamb as if it has been slain sitting on the throne. What does that tell you? That on the ultimate seat of power in the entire universe, the decision-making engine of all of heaven, where every created being gets its orders, is a lamb sitting on the throne. At the very heart of it all is the same love that was revealed on the cross, a humble lamb, like he has been slain, carrying the scars of the humanity that he paid everything for. You see, Jesus is not a king like Caesar. His ultimate goal is not the submission and the overpowering dominance of his creation. No, he if he wanted that, he could have it in an instant. What makes him so altogether different and special is that he wants the dignity and the love and the choice of all all of his creation to know him as he is. And there is no king like Jesus. There is no one like our God. <laughs> you know, when it talks about Jesus coming back on a white horse to, to, to slaughter everyone with the sword coming from his mouth, I mean, that is obviously symbolism. He's not going to walk around with a... You know a freaking broadsword just sticking out of his mouth. No, he's it's it's the word. It's the word of God coming forth and piercing the heart of man. Look, as Brian Zahn said, I am one of those who have been slamed slain by this man on a white horse like I myself have been crucified with Christ into his death I was alive but now I am no more and now I'm alive again in him Jesus is not a maniacal killer he is one who conquers through his enemy loving forgiveness so am I saying There's no judgment. There's no hell, blah, 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 blah. No, I'm really not saying that. All I am saying is that even in his judgment, at the center of it all is this picture of a lamb that is slain, that he is still that lamb and that he makes all the decisions filtered through his own blood on the cross for us, not against us. And so even in his judgments, we can trust that he's going to do everything according to the love that he displayed. Jesus didn't say to love your enemies so that he could hate them. He said, love your enemies because he loves them too. And so with that, um, I just want to Pray for you guys. So, Jesus, thank you that you are so good and so beautiful and so trustworthy. The kind of goodness that you have is not (laughs) like cough syrup goodness where we know you're good for us, but really unpleasant to be around. No, you are all together good and lovely in every way. And right now, Jesus. The only thing I can even really pray that I would pray for every human being is that you would show them by revelation, by your spirit, how good you really are. That you would open our eyes to your goodness and that every illusion that doesn't match with a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth would just fall to the ground. I thank you, Lord, that our, our, our fake, um, pictures of you, of you being Turbo Caesar, or you being like Zeus, just trying to extract a uh, submission. No, I pray that all of that would just fall down to the revelation of the God who submits to his enemies in order that he may love them into becoming his own friends and family. Yes. And I pray that you would actually... Uh, strengthen us in our inner being that we would be able to display that love and that we would talk about it that when we see this kind of um satanic uh dominant dominant driven power in our own nation and in our own lives and in our own hearts that we would cast that aside in favor of living like you did which is loving people past their bile past their you know vile venom um all the way to the core of the person that you see may we treat them accordingly may we love them accordingly until every last one of them joins the family of god in jesus name i pray ah yeah yeah (laughs) Amen.